640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories. Now, let's meet the guests. Let's play them in. We wouldn't do this any other day. Maybe we'd play like, I don't know, Silver Bells if we were having them in on uh, December 23rd. We welcome in uh, from TV Ontario, now writing at the Trillium.ca, and he was on the air yesterday between uh, 12 and 3 o'clock. Some really scary, to quote Count Floyd, scary conversations about security costs for Prime Minister Trudeau. I heard that, Steve. Steve Pakin joining us on Toronto Today. It's great nice to have to be you. with you again, Greg. Absolutely. Those were scary costs. Really, real, that's what, that was SCTV-level scary to hear what we're spending for Prime Ministerial Security in uh, 2023. It's getting up there, eh? It felt like John Cretchen, again, because he was putting his uh, gloved hand in, into protesters' faces and squeezing their eyeballs out. He was he was his own security uh, 30 you, years you ago. Remember, you remember <laughs> the Shawinigan handshake, eh? My dad had a photo of John Cretchen doing that in the garage, and I'm like, is this a veiled threat towards your son <laughs> to just keep up on yard work? What's going on here? No, no, he loves you. I, I, I can assure you he loves you. I think so, too. And we welcome in a gentleman we love talking, uh, not just education issues with, but pretty much we run the gamut with Marcus Domenico, trustee for Ward 2 in the Toronto Catholic District School Board. Marcus, it's great to have you back. Back. Hey, Greg. Great to be here. And uh, hi, Steve. And nice, me- to, nice to hear you. Good morning to you, too, Marcus. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Marcus, are you a fan of Steve's work? I mean, who isn't? <laughs> well, um, I'm going to spring this on Steve. I actually met Steve on one of my singing gigs many, many years ago oh. at TVO. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, can, can you tell I'm getting up there in years and I'm forgetting everything these days? It's, it's, I'm easily forgettable at times, Steve, no problem. This, this uh, says more about me than you, believe me. This reminds me of um, Bob Costas was on Letterman one night, and he explained how John Gotti, do you remember John Gotti, the mob yeah. boss, Steve? Yeah, So sure. John Gotti saw Bob Costas across the way in a New York uh, restaurant, and he sent him over a drink, and Costas doesn't drink, so he just got like a Diet Coke or something. But then you got to kind of come over and thank um, John Gotti for buying you a drink. <laughs> and Costas, he goes to Costas, Costas, sports broadcaster, really famous, NFL World Series, all that. And he goes, Bob, I like your work. And Bob's like, what am I supposed to say? I like yours too? <laughs> no, you're not. You're not. But, but I know it just seems like the natural thing. But you're like, yeah, that guy you sent to the bottom of the Hudson River a week ago. Big fan. <laughs> Big fan. All right. Since we're all uh, laughing it up on Halloween morning, uh, let's start here. Lots more info yesterday with a freedom of information request. Uh, we now have a great sense what a, everybody at the breakfast table this morning is talking about ministerial zoning uh, opportunities. I don't even think I got that right. But either way, orders. yeah, orders. orders, exactly. Um, How bad? How bad, Steve, let's start with you. Does this look for Ford and the government, or are people really processing this? And last week it was NDP on, in Ontario in crisis. I don't know if we're making the case that the Conservatives are in crisis now, but how bad does it all look? Well, apropos of your comments about John Gotti, I never think it's a great <laughs> look when government behind-the-scenes people are talking like mob bosses. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I don't want to overstate this, but, but when you've got the chief of staff to a former minister of housing walking around and saying to people, now you shut up on this, don't say a word about this, keep your mouth closed, you know, it's not a good look. Let's just put it that way. It's not a good look. And, uh, you know, one of the things that the Conservatives had been very successful at doing, mostly through that you know, very uh, almost tearful apology that Doug Ford gave some weeks ago was managing to sort of change the channel on their own malfeasance related to this story. And the spotlight then shifted to the NDP and all the internal difficulties they were having. 
I don't know, looks to me like the spotlight's back on the Tories with this one, because this this just doesn't sound or look good in my view. Marcus, do you think it resonates with the public? Sometimes it's uh, when you go to vote and we're not going to go vote for, you know, a good 30 months now. Um, sometimes these things just sort of fade into the ether and we don't. The liberals, the liberals had their moments in Ontario, but it really didn't catch up with them until it felt like they all caught up at once in 2018. They were able to skate by certain issues and, and bad press. Yeah, some things stick and some things don't. The gas plant scandal stuck, and I don't know if this will or not. Um, you know, I'm not going to defend what happened. I would, I, I think that the gas, or sorry, the green belt and the MZ, MZO, they are guided by a desire to build more housing. But the uh, you really don't want to see how the hot dog is made sometimes in politics. And these these documents that are going to be revealed are going to be picked on and picked on and picked on. And uh, it's best for the Conservatives to uh, just be, just keep moving forward. Always keep moving forward. Mm. Can I come back on that, Greg? Yeah, of course. I, I, I think this is a story, and I think it's got legs, and I think it's lasted as long as it has. Not because uh, the Conservatives have been motivated to build a lot of housing, which they have been, let's be fair. Yes, that has been part of the underpinning of all of this. But there is a nagging suspicion because of the lack of process here and because of the way that this has all come together, that there's more to it. And there is a very strong odor uh, that it's more than just building housing, that it's actually kind of rewarding developer friends who've given money to the Conservative Party, uh, friends of the premier who've shown up to stag and doe parties and the premier's daughter's wedding. That's why this is that's why this is still a story. It's not that they wanted. I mean, it's not only that they wanted to get housing built. But it's all this other stuff around the edges that just kind of stinks a bit, right? Totally. And Marcus, to Steve's point, what drives me crazy about it is even if we're to fillet and barbecue the Ford government for this or for that, I, I just worry that the emphasis on who knew what when takes the ball and I'm not defending them. It takes the uh, eyes off the ball of actually getting the building done. Look at all the issues that we can't get into the news cycle. Education is a huge priority for people here in this province. Healthcare is on fire. We're dealing with another story this morning, although this is Toronto based, about no ambulances available for people, elderly people who are unconscious waiting 28 minutes for an ambulance to show up. So we got our problems in Ontario. And I just worry Greenbelt times 100 kind of kicks them all out of the out of the cycle for people. Well, I think uh, Ontarians will realize what the real issues are. Um, the fact that someone was at a stag and doe, yeah, it, it Steve's definitely right. It does not look good. And a little bit of scandal does add a bit of spice to the whole issue for sure. But I think Ontarians are going to be really focused on, eventually focused on the real issues of education, healthcare, crime, other things like that that are much more important than, than who, who went to the stag. And then, and you know, apparently more important than trust. I don't know. This well, is why I, I can't see for sure. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think either one of us and you and I have both watched politics for a long time, Marcus, but I don't think either one of us knows what the issue is going to be on Election Day 30 months from now. But I don't think it's beyond the pale to think that maybe whether or not we trust these guys to administer the affairs of the province, uh, that could be fairly high up the list. Who knows? It, it, it all obviously depends on how they handle it going forward. I, I think, Steve, to that point, I know you and I have had this conversation before, just for whatever reason, um, COVID restrictions being dropped, probably not not fantastically uh, organized platforms for the Liberals or the NDP last year. 
I think Doug Ford just hit that perfect storm last year, and you're right. We have no idea. I think there's going to be stronger parties, more uh, better leaders, more organized platforms in 2026. Basically, it's to use a sports analogy, it's going to be a tougher game to win in 26 than it was in 22. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other two opposition parties, and I guess we shouldn't forget the Greens either, but the two main opposition parties will be, as the expression goes, more tournament tough by the time the next election comes around. And let's also remember... Doug Ford will have been in power by the time the next election comes around for eight years. Eight years today, uh, in a way, is like 14 or 15 years, uh, you know, 30 years ago. It's just it, it's it's like a hothouse nowadays, right, with social media and 24-7 cable coverage, cable news coverage. It's just harder today to win three in a row. Uh, so, you know, you have to add all of that into the mix by the time the next election comes around. I think it is. So much has changed. Dalton McGinty won three elections in a row. Obviously, Bill Davis won four elections, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was he had a couple in, in almost back to back years in 75 and 77. But I think you're right that that cycle ends up ending. Let's move time now. Yeah, time. It, it really is. Let's move to this. Um, these two immigration surveys I find really, really interesting. It's funny. We, I used to say you'd never walk into a backyard barbecue, Marcus, and say, hey, I got opinions on immigration in the Middle East. Who wants to hear them? And now it's all for time. It just feels like you have to talk about these things in uh, social circumstances. But the headline in the Star this morning, Canadian support for immigration is slipping. And I would bring up two different surveys uh, documented that people look at these numbers and say 465,000 new permanent residents this year, almost uh, half a million next year, and a half million in 2025. Marcus, I think I don't think this is about xenophobia or ethnocentrism i think people are just looking at this practically and saying if we want if people are going to come here we want them to have the best opportunity if there aren't the best jobs and there aren't the best circumstances in which they can find a place to live why have them we want to give them the best shot to succeed in canada well i think a lot of this is going to fall on the immigration minister uh, mr miller that you have to sell this idea because many people are fearful for about housing about employment. The fact is that we need skilled workers, but where are they going to live? And you see a lot of the opposition to immigration is based in the urban centers where housing is a massive problem. So they're saying, okay, if you let in 500,000 people, you bring them in, first of all, how are they vetted? Do they bring skills with them? And where are they going to live? Like literally, where are they going to live? So people are more fearful, although Canada is an incredibly accepting country. I mean, yeah. I'm a I'm a child of immigrants, as probably most of you are, and we understand immigration is 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 key to the success of the country. But managed immigration, I think, is what people want. Steve, do you think it's a lot more? We don't. We, we've got a sense how the federal next federal election is going to go, but um, this feels like it's more about our economy. I, I hope we can avoid the oh, you're talking about immigration. Well, that's discriminatory. That's racist. I think this is about practicality. I think this is about mathematics right now. I think you've analyzed it absolutely correctly. And one of the things, whenever I hear people say, oh, Canadians and Americans, they're all the same. They're really, you know, very similar people on different sides of the border. Uh, We have to remember that the support for immigration in the United States is very much partisan, politically based. There is a tremendous uh, amount of opposition to immigration in the United States, mostly because they, they haven't got control of their southern border. And remarkably, It doesn't matter whether you're a liberal, a conservative, a new Democrat, green. There has been remarkable consensus in Canada at a very high rate of the positive aspects of immigration. And I think the ones this I don't know if this poll is a canary in a coal mine. I don't know if it's an indication of 
of things moving in a different direction or whether it might just be a blip. But yes, we've got to be, and I hope the decision makers are listening, we've got to be extremely careful that we don't that we don't blow it here, that we don't yeah. blow the wonderful consensus that we've had as a country in big majority numbers on the values of immigration, because if we lose yeah. that, we're in trouble. Yeah. Like Steve makes a great point, Marcus. I, I don't I don't want to close the borders. I don't want us perceived as that kind of country. But even south of the border, you're seeing Democrat mayor in New York, Eric Adams, the Democratic governor in New York, Kathy Hochul, the Democratic governor in Illinois saying we can't do this anymore. We can't have people uh, coming to the major cities, sleeping on our concrete, as was happening here in Toronto and not having anywhere to go. We've got to find a better solution. Well, the Americans have got themselves in a in a real, real mess. It's not immigration the way Canada is experiencing it. They're experiencing an open border on the south, and it's causing a lot of problems. Uh, here in Canada, we are a very, very attractive country to come to from around the world. It's safe. It's prosperous. We're a kind country. People want to come here. They want to work. And mm. Canadians accept that. We love immigration. It's just a fact of where do they go and how skilled are they and where are they going to live ultimately? All that matters so much. I want you uh, guys, it's uh, Steve Pakin joining us and Marcus Domenico joining us. It's Think Tank on 640 Toronto. I want you guys to hear Melanie Jolie from yesterday. She spoke in Toronto. Uh, this is her talking about the concept of a, quote, humanitarian truce. And then we'll dive into the comments and try and uh, parse out what she meant. Here's the foreign minister for Canada yesterday. What is unfolding in Gaza is also a human tragedy. The humanitarian situation facing the Palestinian people, facing Palestinian women and children in particular, is dire. And extremist settlers' attacks continue in the West Bank and must stop. Like all states, of course, Israel has a right to defend itself against terrorist attacks. It has an obligation to do so in accordance with international law. For even in crisis, there are principles and even in war, there are rules. Steve Pakin, I, I know it's a little all over the place. I, I'm empathetic to the point where it's tough to frame how anybody feels about this conflict in 45 seconds. But I, she's calling for a humanitarian truce. I haven't heard Justin Trudeau say that. I sure heard Bill Blair, the defense minister, absolutely throw that concept in the garbage like a rolled up piece of paper, as has Canada's U.N. Ambassador Bob Ray, who says no, under all circumstances, Hamas must be destroyed. So it's odd. I, I don't know if Melanie Jolie is speaking for herself. It's OK if she is, but I'm also not sure if she's speaking for the liberal government didn't sound like she was certainly sounded like she was freelancing a bit there look there's nothing wrong in in essence with what she said she's quite right there's there's all too much misery on both sides of the gaza israel border there's no question about that but but yes the government does not sound like it is speaking with one voice on this and let's remember the reason that so many people and you just mentioned some of the the bigger names are opposed to a whatever you want to call it a truce a humanitarian truce a pause in the in the uh, fighting is that they're they're afraid that Hamas will reconstitute itself and and launch more attacks against Israel. I mean, this is not um, this is not a proven trustworthy negotiating partner, Hamas. So mm -hmm. if, if you're wondering, you know, you don't have to be uh, a lack of humanitarian. You don't have to be a sadist to be opposed to this. Um, there are perfectly reasonable reasons why people oppose 
a so-called truce at the moment. So and that's that's the biggest reason, I would say. It's a weird one, Marcus, because, I mean, the first thought on my mind is is like if someone could give me a, a grocery list of what I want to happen here. Number one is release the hostages. That's number one. And I think that's the only way you get to the point where you're you're holding Israel to account to protect innocent Palestinian lives. You're destroying Hamas. You're you're deterring more aggression. But I don't know that any of it can get started without number one happening. Well, I think we have to remember that Hamas, you know, an Iranian-backed terrorist group, which also subjugates the Palestinian people in Gaza, must be eliminated. They started this. They have embedded themselves in civilian areas. And yes, it's an absolute civilian tragedy, mm-hmm. but Hamas must be eliminated. They are basically ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Iran, they are very, very, very dangerous. They're not interested in negotiation. They have absolutely no goal except their one stated goal, which is the elimination of Israel, which means another Holocaust. And we can't allow, we can't sit by it and, you know, sort of pitter patter around it. Hamas must be dug out of Gaza and removed. Steve, is it a problem that the I don't know if it's a problem or not that the liberal government's not speaking as one. I don't mind. I've watched this in the States a fair bit living there where you're going to get some congressmen supporting going to Iraq. Some are against it. Some Democrats and Republicans had internal squabbles about what they should do. I'm okay with people speaking their conscience on this issue. I'm not looking for uniformity. Should we be? Uniformity. Tough word. I mean, you want the government speaking with one voice on this issue. Uh, Backbenchers want to say what they want. They have different points of view. I'm, I'm less fussed about that. But the prime minister, the U.N. ambassador, the minister of foreign affairs and the defense minister presumably ought to be putting the same message out there right. after having had a great debate about it in cabinet at some point. So I'm not sure how much freelancing we want to see among the most senior members of the cabinet. Backbenchers is a different story, but at some point, the government's got to come forward with a unified, clear position, and I don't think they've done that yet. Yeah, and again, you know, uh, Ms. Jolie and, and Mr. Blair, they're they are both almost at loggerheads. They don't, they don't seem to agree on much about where we go. I want to flip this forward to the uh, fact that Bonnie Crombie will join our show at 8.05 this morning, Ontario Liberal Leadership candidate. There have been accusations. I'd say they've been far more from her supporters than Crombie herself. I think she stayed above this, Steve. Um, that there have been questions from her three opponents that are deemed, hmm, is this a male asking a female question? Would it work the same the other way around? I know you talked about this on uh, Toronto this weekend. If she wins, as you said earlier, it's Doug Ford campaigning to win a third election against two strong female leaders, Bonnie Crombie and Marit Stiles. They both present well. They're articulate. They've not been shy about attacking the premier. Does that balance make it tough to debate her campaign? I'm, I'm not seeing very much male-female dynamic. I just see four people that, that think they're the best qualified people for the job for the liberals. Well, you're quite right. We did talk about this on the weekend, and I got a column up on the, the trillion.ca about this as well, because when I went to the debate a week, well, I guess exactly a week ago today at Victoria College at U of T, it seemed to me that, you know, Crombie is the acknowledged front runner. Uh, how do I put this? The three men who are trying to, you know, to catch up to her were having a devil of a time laying a glove on her because the dynamic, it's just tough. I mean, the optics mm-hmm. are tough. You've got a shorter, older woman on one side of the stage. You've got three taller, younger men who, you know, on, by all rights, want to attack the front runner because that's the only way they're going to catch up. And they couldn't lay a glove on her. And partly it's because she's a skilled politician and knows how to respond when somebody does launch an attack. 
and partly because the optics of three younger men attacking a woman on stage, it's just not a good look. And she's certainly taking advantage of that. What do you see there, Marcus? I mean, I didn't see Doug Ford struggle to, to land some body shots, if you will, on Kathleen Wynne. I think we all watched and cringed at the Donald Trump-Hillary Clinton debate in 2016. But different parties, Greg. I that's know, I know. This is the same party. Yeah, I know. I, I know. It's an odd one. Marcus, how do you view it? Well, I think that the premier is going to have um, a, a bit of a tougher time when you think that he was running against uh, Kathleen Wynne and he was sure. running against uh, Hogarth. That's a whole different uh, set of circumstances. Uh, I have developed, though, the winning strategy. Would you like to hear how the premier wins the next Yeah, election? you're a little late to get into the, uh, I think the polling is closed, <laughs> but yes, yes, feel free. Okay, I, I, I've given it a tremendous thought. It just occurred to me. But uh, the, my tremendous thought is that uh, the premier uh, pulls a Scott Moe and says to the uh, prime minister, we're not collecting the carbon tax, and that will be a big winner. And the other parties will have to somehow come around and defend a, uh, a tax that's extremely unpopular and is about to get even more unpopular. And the premier can uh, plant the flag there and win. Not bad. OK, well, we're going to get you in the back room. This is like an episode of the West Wing. You're invi- advising Martin <laughs> Sheen here in uh, in season four. Not bad. Let's flip to Halloween. Let's have some fun with this. Uh, you know, we can all remember our particular costumes. I mentioned being Ronald Reagan in 1984. Nobody accused me of being too hard on uh, Central American countries, but whatever. Uh, it's changed a lot. Does it feel like it's less fun to you guys? Do costumes feel more policed? Like if my sons wanted to be a serial killer, could they do it? Could they be a prisoner? Could they do it? I, I don't know all the rules. What do you think ends up okay and not okay? Marcus, you're going to see them in schools today. Come on. Okay. Well, in schools, we do have rules uh, because it's a community organization. The rules are, you know, you can't wear a full face mask. You can't bring weapons and you, you, you need to be sensitive about cultural appropriation. I don't think that schools are going way, way out of their way to run around and, and, and to police it to a, a crazy extent. It is a fun day and it can be very silly. It's when adults like Prince Harry dressing up as as he did that one time. Yes. Uh, You know, that's really nuts, if you ask me. Um, But, yeah, I think Halloween is a lot of fun. It's it's actually my favorite holiday, to be completely frank. Marcus, can I be the Pope? Yes, Greg. Um, (laughs) Probably in your, you know, in your own mind, in your small world. No, (laughs) no. Can I come to school and and teach today as the Pope? I probably can't do that, can I? Uh, You would be welcome as the Pope. I would? Okay. Well, would, depending I, on how you behaved, but yeah, yeah, I'd be Pope esque, Pope like, problematic I, I, already. I, I don't, yeah, it's that's 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 me to a T. Steve, how do you view uh, Halloween? You've you know, we, we've we've been here, done that, done our own costumes, dressed our kids up, and we never felt this kind of stress. Is anyone going to be offended by my young one's costume? We feel that now as parents. I'm going to tell you why I'm exactly the wrong person to answer this question. <laughs> and and knowing this question was coming, I went back and looked at some old photo albums. And apparently 20 years ago on Halloween, my adult children, who were then little children, my daughter went out as a pumpkin. Uh, My middle son went out as a skeleton. My oldest son went out as Dalton McGinty. And my third-born son went out as John Tory. Now, if that's not evidence of of some kind of appalling parenting, I'm not sure what is. And let me assure you, the, the parents did not have any say in what those two kids who went out as politicians decided to go as that was their idea mm. and it's 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 a hysterical look i must say it's an <laughs> so 
I, I obviously know nothing about what's appropriate at Halloween to let my kids go. I out suppose not. Like I suppose not. But I, 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 your adult son's not going as John Tory tonight because there's some implications within the last 12 months that changed the change well, the concept of the costume. I worry. Yeah, I fear. He's 32 years old now, so I don't think he's going out in a costume anymore. Okay. <laughs> Good job steering clear of what I was trying to get you to do. Okay, okay. Loved having you guys on. We're out of time. Thanks for this this morning. Good Thanks, stuff. Greg. See ya. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.